This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. The big thing for us is like, it's not our first rodeo. Having a strong partner who's the opposite to me um, makes things work better because you, as long as you have a commonality that you're here to try and solve a problem, no one gets upset, no one gets offended. You're sitting there trying to solve problems. We understood that travel has a timeline and some people just don't trust e-commerce. In order to sell more product, we needed to be in a physical presence as well. There's an analogy that, that I like to use when it comes to starting businesses and running them is, is, is running a race, like a running race. And you can't, you'll never win your first one. What it really means to live like golden. Yeah, we're golden, baby girl, we're golden. They're about to see it shine, cause we're golden. Pivotal Conversations is focused on creating a seamless and convenient method for brands to create content in the modern age. We cover everything from strategy to production, to post-production editing, to create all your short form content, as well as social media strategy and your website strategy. So if you've been thinking about starting a podcast or you've got a podcast uh, and you're looking for a, a seamless, convenient uh, way for you to create your content and get it out there to the world, we are offering 50% off your first episode. So if that's something you're interested in, there'll be a link in the show notes, fill that inquiry format, and we'll be in contact within 24 hours. Thanks, guys. Nathan, welcome to the podcast. Ethan. Ethan. You know what? I was about to ask you that before we got sidetracked. <laughs> it's all right. Everyone, you know, I don't expect anybody to get it right. Don't even try with the surname. It's fine. Ethan's <laughs> good. Don't I'm, worry, mate. I'm like sure or Beyonce now. We don't, we don't have a surname. <laughs> I wasn't going there. Mate, I want to say a massive thank you, first of all, for coming in. And, and um, as I said to you, I've been a massive fan of the brand for quite a long Thanks, period of man. time. Pleasure to be here too. I always, my partner, right, is, I always say to her, I go, wow, I really, really love this product. And I think it started maybe two years ago when I first kind of come across you guys. And I just thought, wow, like an industry that has probably been screaming for some innovation finally has it. And it, it's a product that you want. You know, it's a product that you go, Wow, I really, I would, I really want that product, um, and I, I don't know what it is, and I'm sure we're going to find out today. But, um, mate, Thanks, re- man. really Thanks excited. For the love. To have it's you nice up. coming on and hearing <laughs> that first stuff. You know, I feel a warm and fuzzy now. It's good. We're going to start with a startup story. Um, how did it start? How did? It, where did it come from? Uh, I mean, you know, how does anything start at the end of the day, right? Sometimes you get ideas. Sometimes you're just talking with mates and. You know, in particular with Richard and myself, Richard, my co-founder, uh, we, you know, we were both running separate businesses at the time and we would get together in a cafe and just talk about strategies, talk about ideas. It's really nice having somebody who, you know, Richard's quite the opposite to me. You know, we're both sort of very creative guys in different ways and we would, we would just talk, we would just talk shit. We would go, oh, what are you doing here? How do you do that? You know, what's, uh, for me, paid marketing and like customer acquisition was like you know just in the two hard baskets so i never used to do it you know and and he would sort of teach me about that and insights around that and how to how to better acquire customers and product and manufacturing like he was very much in that world and for me coming x agency running a couple of other businesses that that were doing exceptionally well with zero paid marketing all brand all organic you know it was sort of he's like well what are you doing on that side how are you getting all of that i don't want to pay for my customers tell me what you're doing here so we can grow our business so we would get together and just talk about stuff and ideas and it was quite fun uh, at doing that at the time. And, and naturally you just go like, we should, we should do something together. This is a cool thing. We've got a good relationship going. And you start to look at categories and go, you know, I'd love to take on two cases. You know, super boring. 
Uh, I remember uh, Richard had actually, you know, was like the one who dropped that. It was like, what about suitcases? What do you think about that? And I remember being like 50-50 on it. I was like, oh, I don't really know. Uh, you know, I, listen, I've got to go. I've got to go take my, my parents-in-law to the airport. And so on the airport run back, I was like, hey, guys, what do you, what do you guys think about suitcases? You know, do you, do you think it's a good category for us to get into? And my father-in-law in particular, who's a, he's an avid traveller, uh, he's a diplomat across Asia, travelled a lot, lived out of a suitcase, spent 10, 15 minutes in the car talking about how much he loved his particular suitcase and how the features about it and why he loved it so much and he lived out of it and all the details around it. I was like, it's not, it's a really weird category for people to be absolutely obsessed with uh, and, and to have that much detail around it. And once you scratch the suitcase surface, people are obsessed with them. If you travel a lot, it's the little details that really matter. So frequent flyers, business people who, who really do touch their suitcase a lot, they know what they like and they know what works, they know what they're into. And um, it's, a, it's a unique category because there's a lot of junk out there. And so we're like, I think we can do this a lot better. There is, when you, when you look at the competitor set, so, so that's, how you, that's how we kind of landed on it. We're like, um, you know what? In-laws like it, you know, business partner likes it. This is going to be a good thing. There's just a point there that I'd love to like touch on, which is, and I'd love to ask you this question around, do you think it's best to go into business to disrupt a category or choose category first? Like coming at it from a real, hey, there's, there's, a, there's, there's an unmet need here or there's a, there's a problem here or, um, you know, it's boring. You know, there's, there's room for innovation versus like you hear how people get into business for passion, right? And like they're, they're passion led. And I often think it can sometimes lead to staying in an industry too long or being in a declining market. Like I'd love to get your opinion on that and bringing it back to how you guys fundamentally launched the business. Passion's a funny thing. Passion can go, like, you can transcend category, right? And so you can say things like, I like making things. That's a passion point. The category itself is the opportunity as opposed to being passionate about a category. Mm. Uh, I think when people are passionate about categories, they see niches better and they see opportunities better because they're in it. They, they see things that other people wouldn't have seen because they're spending a lot of time in it. It's just another way to identify opportunities. Uh, you know, you, you, hear, you hear bad stories about people who, who are passionate about something, get into it and hate it and fall to hate it because they used to love it and now they're doing it every day, mm. you know. I feel like coffee shop owners fall into that category a lot mm. because everybody loves coffee. There is an ideal of opening a coffee shop and the lifestyle associated around it. They do it and it's, they, they're basically small business accountants for seven days a week yeah. and they absolutely hate the, 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 the job from for my experience anyway. So... You, you, uh, you know, I think falling in love with certain things helps motivate you when there's nothing there. And I know for us in particular, you know, both, both oh, well, I always speak for Richard, but I know with myself, a lot of the work that I've done in the past was quite theoretical. It was all digital based work. It was all, uh, you know, strategy work, clients, you know, delivery on, on keynotes, nothing tangible. Mm. And I found that all the pursuits I've had after that experience have led me just naturally into more tangible products. Yeah. You know, we're talking coffee, we're talking like co-working offices, like I've, everything that I've done has been like physical product, you know, tangible things you can hold uh, and and now suitcases. And I, I really like it. And so if we talk about passion points. I really, I'm, I'm quite passionate about doing physical products now because 
you know, maybe it's an insecurity of doing like, uh, you know, intangible things in the past. Maybe it's a mix of like leaving a legacy. Now that I'm getting older, I like to look back and be like, I can see the first suitcase that I made. Yeah. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> I think passion, passion gets you halfway there and, and it can wear out very quickly if there's not something else. There's no foundational element like a category opportunity. And so passion will help you find that opportunity. And for us, finding that opportunity, you know, we're talking about suitcases and, and it might not have been an opportunity at all. It might have been nothing. But once you scratch that surface, you've got the passion point of we like making things and we like problem solving. Right? I think most entrepreneurs, most, most people in business are just problem solvers and they will see a challenge, they'll see a problem and be like, I reckon, I reckon I can crack that one. And so that's how it starts, I think, the snowball effect of can I solve this problem? Is this something I can jump onto and, and win at? And then you sort of see things like, well, let's look at the competitor set. And, and with suitcases in particular, you're like, well, only one, only one guy has everything, especially in APAC. It's all Samsonite. These guys own like five brands. They, <laughs> you know, it's, you don't know it. You go to, you go to Maya, David Jones or whatever and, and buy a suitcase there. It's kind of good enough because you're leaving tomorrow. You know, you kind of just get the job done. You've heard of Samsonite, maybe from the Dumber and Dumber movie or your parents have had it. You know, you, you just kind of get it done and you're like, oh yeah, fine, great, good enough, let's go. And, um, and when you realize that these guys dominate so much, you're like, well, surely there's, there's an opportunity to, to shave some of that off and, and do something else and do something that's better. And so the, for us, the direct-to-consumer approach gave us the framework to win there by saying like, well, we'll cut that margin down. You know, we, we know that RP is going to be cheaper, but we can make a better product. Can we take these guys on and be a little bit more fashion forward? I think we can. Let's give it a go. And you can have all the planning and passion in the world, but if you make that first product and the market doesn't respond well to it, then it's all it's kind of all for naught. So you need a little bit of luck as well. You need to kind of put everything into one basket and go, okay, here it is. I'm ready. Let's let's start. And it's easy to look back now after four years and say, you know, hear beautiful things like like what you said at the beginning, where you, you love the product, your partner loves the product, and you've wanted to have it. But when you launch, it's definitely not like that at all. Mm -hmm. People are looking at the product like, what is this? Like, mm -hmm. why would I buy this brand that I don't know about? Why is your logo all over the suitcase? Like, I'm not touching that thing. You know, it's it's a it, it comes a long way, and sometimes four years later, five years later, you you can't think of it how it would have been any other way. So you're a brand builder by trade, is that that's correct? Yeah. So kind of that's where you've come from. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It sounds like from what you've said that that's the case. So. I would love to understand your mindset going into this in developing the product because what I just got out of what you just said then was that, and you're so true, right? Like I couldn't, I, I actually couldn't tell you another suitcase brand, right? And I think <laughs> yeah. that there's a, there's a, like that's kind of the insight that I got from what you just said of like, you go into Maya, you're not buying a brand, you know, you, you might look at it and go, yeah, that one looks all right. Like, you know, and, and maybe it has a few functions that I need, but like I'm not buying a brand, like I'm not, Buying a Nike. No, you know? price is good enough, color's good enough. And, I, and I'm leaving in two days. So yeah, give me that size, thanks. So you, as a brand builder, I'd love to tap into your mindset around how did you develop that first product? What were some of the key principles that you kind of came in and said, this is, this is how we're gonna do it. And then how did that kind of play out? Yeah, the, the, you know the problem with brand stuff is that there's no formula. You, and everything's kind of made up and based off intuition and based off what you see. And it's a really hard one because especially in startup land, everyone's performance marketing and ROIs and, 
you know, you've, you've got your algorithms that you're trying to crack through content, but, but with brand in particular is, is a really tough one. It's re- you know what it is. It's very hard to, to tell people how you've, how you've gotten there. I remember early days with July, uh, we wanted, we needed a shortcut to trust. So that was the early, the early framework of like, how do we get people to trust us day one? Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, because there's a reliability component when it comes to, to suitcases. You buy and you travel for breaks. So if something happens while you're traveling, you kind of feel stranded. And so we wanted to make sure that we, you know, we, we made sure people trusted the brand from, from day one. So, you know, lifetime warranties, um, free returns, thing, all, those, all that sort of stuff that helps. But from a brand perspective, we, uh, we tried to get, uh, and we did get, uh, at July across all our socials, uh, which is extremely difficult. Yeah, I could imagine. And eventually got the .com as well. So we, you know, there, there's a really weird psychological thing that happens on social where something that seems uh, like it shouldn't be that it is and you're like, well, they've got at July, like these guys must be legit. It's a simple, it's a very simple thing, but I must try, I can trust these guys to a degree. I trust that, therefore I trust the product. And so this sort of correlation of, of naming correlation of handles uh, in terms of what the, what the trust is and the premiumness of the brand is what we tried to do from day one. I remember like from a print quality perspective on, on whenever we did anything print, um, so swing tags, uh, packaging, things like that. Whenever we did photography, it was all, it was all high end photography. It was all high end print because the idea is that when you see things and when you touch things and you, if you think that that's high quality, then your, your instant correlation is, the product must be of that quality as well. Yeah. And so everything had that like <laughs> jump on effect. They're working with these photographers. They're working with these stylists and creatives. They're top tier guys. This must be a top tier brand as well. Everything was about correlation for us. And so we tried to make sure that everything we did early days had a really positive net effect. And, and you know, did it work? Was that the reason why it worked or is that the reason, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if that was it, but that was the, that was the, the framework early days of just making sure that anything that, that instilled a bit of trust um, was built into the brand from day one. And then, so you talked about being fashion forward as well. So did you identify that as a particular like point of difference, you know, and you're kind of sitting there and going, Obviously, you know, we've just talked about going into Maya, buying a suitcase, you're not buying a brand, but then kind of coming into it, you guys said that this is our biggest opportunity in a sense, or was it not necessarily that, that, that directional? You, you know, colour is important, right? You know, yeah. colour is important, but you don't really know how until you start. And so if you go into it saying, hey, fashion super important, uh, you know, you'll, you'll start with like 20 colours and you go out of business very quickly with too much product. Uh, we we knew that it was important. We did some colors up front. We knew that we were going to be changing them frequently, but uh, you know, like you know, color color and seeing things, seeing things from a fashion perspective. Like fashion's always a trend, and making things more fashionable, getting your travel accessories and your travel outfits as part of your like getting ready to go somewhere was definitely a trend. Um, this like I am my experiences vibe where. You know the places that you go and the and the shots that you take from a social influencer perspective it makes you it makes you who you are right mm. like i am i do go to greece every year or i do go to hawaii and so like you know it is your it is your persona so this sort of connection between travel and and um and who you are and your self-worth was happening more and more for us like look color and fashion was is always a fun thing to do 
and it just wasn't represented, you know, we, we thought we'd have some fun with it. And and that's what we're doing. You know, it's like it's not a serious it's not a serious business in the sense that we don't uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Like we are having fun every day. We get up and we make great products. We love talking about color. We love talking about textiles, new things to do, new things to make, and that's that's what makes this a fun thing to do. You know, I've never had more fun than what I'm doing right now because any idea that we can come up with, we're like, you know what? You want to make a drink bottle? Let's make a drink bottle. Like, what a cool thing to do, you know? Should we do some passport, travel passport wallets and things like that? That's great. Let's do it. It's it's fun to be able to create new products and, and do new things and talk about colors and talk about how fashion is an extension of the travel, the travel category. So I'm guessing it there's obviously fun is a great kind of base and it's a good foundation for business. Yeah, but I'm assuming that it wasn't always that way or there was times that where... That has been tough. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So I want to dive into a few of the challenges in the early days. I mean, obviously we were talking off air about, you know, um, uh, 2019 being amazing and then all of a sudden the world gets spun on its head. So we can definitely touch on that. And then I'd love for you to also actually, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that as well. But what, what were some of the things in the early days? Like how did it actually get off the ground? You know, like you had this idea, you started developing product. Um, were you guys funded early? Did you self-fund? You know, how did you kind of get this into a into a, to the first phase of business into a startup? Yeah, when we had the idea, we came up with the name. We um, we waited till the seventh of July, so seventh of the seventh, to register it. That, this is how you. That's, that's good luck, yeah. brand guy, brand yeah, guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that was that, well. I mean, at the end, of the, that was um, that was that was like a good luck auspicious thing. You know, we're like, oh, we should wait. It's very hard. Uh, self-restraint to to have an idea and wait a few weeks to like register it like we're like somebody's going to do it now now that we've come up with it someone's going to do it uh but we had we had some fun with that and you know from then we were in co-work office we we basically locked ourselves in a room and and designed the product did as much as we could around the brand uh but like limited resources yeah we we did get an early angel investment mm -hmm. uh and that helped us obviously just pay for the molds you know, like manufacturing things takes takes money. Uh, so we were self-funded in the sense that we didn't pay ourselves anything and we, we still had to survive on that. But the the molding costs and the funding of that came from an angel investor, which yep. which helped us out early days. And that helped, you know, set the... I mean, we blew most of that money in our first order. And, uh, you know, the pressure is on, right, to then try and sell it. We The, the stock got delayed, so we weren't going to make it in time for Christmas. So what we ended up doing was the stock was coming in February. We actually launched in December 2018, but with um, with these little premium little leather luggage tags that we would then personalise for you, and as a gift to say, hey, if you pre-order a suitcase, you get this now, and the suitcase is going to come later. So we uh, so so we pivoted quickly and did that. That helped sell our first container and get that order uh, over over the line for Christmas. And it was just basically Rich and I in a room, you know, design papers all over the wall with this little embosser that we'd got off eBay and just sitting there embossing leather tags, you know, like You're it, kidding. it was it was hilarious, you know, and it was great. Like and Rich got married <laughs> during that time. You know, it was it was chaos. Uh, but but mate, we loved it, you know, it was really, really great start to that business and it just felt like good things. And I, I think the the big thing for us is like it's not our first rodeo. Yeah. You know, and there's an analogy that, that I like to use when it comes to starting businesses and running them is, is, is running a race, like a running race. And 
you can't, you'll never win your first one. Uh, if you do, you're extremely lucky, you know, you're like gifted fit, but most of us have to train a bit. Most of us have to do a few runs or whatever about, and then maybe by the 10th one, you, you sort of understand the system, you understand what's going on, and then you're running a, a strong race. This is, this is kind of that race for us. Uh, we've done a few things in the past. We knew what it took to get something over the line uh, within six months. And, and so we ran for that six months. We really did. The gun went off. We knew exactly what to do. We'd, we'd been here before. And so we did everything we could in the first six months to get um, that product over the line. And with that first, you mentioned that first shipment. Like, was that an easy sell? Like, is it, you know, did the product kind of like really hit from, from day one or did you have to kind of really develop some, 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 you know, some winning strategies in a sense from a marketing and, and perspective to kind of to get it going? It's all friends and family, right? Like yeah. we had no photos. We didn't have any physical product. It was all renders. And I look back at the renders now, they were so shitty. <laughs> like it was, you know, real baseline stuff. Um, but it was all friends and family. We would walk around. Actually, we had two physical samples and Rich and I would go to Chibi, you know, Chibi Cafe here in Collingwood. Uh, and we, everywhere we went, we carried the suitcases with us like we were just coming from the airport. And so, you know, we'd obviously like place them nicely as we were sitting down having coffee and stuff. You know, it was like we'd go Kick to Paul's Fest, <laughs> you know, and just walk around with suitcases. Like yeah. it was it was hilarious. And like charge because we had the charger in the in the handle and the, the power bank. And so we would just charge our phones with, uh, you know, in the suitcases, the thing, and just like kind of walk around showing people like that as just a way for people to try and give us some attention while we were walking around. So it was a real hustle early days. But friends and family definitely supported us for that first bit. Um, we, I mean, we did a very base level paid media campaign. Uh, most of it was organic, uh, organic social. Again, like Instagram being our, our big ticket early days. Um, the photography was good. You know, the brand resonated. Uh, the product was great. Like early days, you've got to focus on product features. Yeah. Um, you know, saying the word July doesn't mean anything to anybody. Uh, so we talked, you know, we made sure that the product features were the, were the heroes. Uh, and that would get people over the line. Like good looking case, it's got a power bank, it has a handle that stops anywhere. They talk about the wheels. Yeah, okay, it looks, looks nice. Lifetime warranty, I feel, I feel confident. Okay, let's, let's do it. Um, and so we got a few people over the line uh, with that, you know, but it was, you know, it was a Shopify website that, that we did ourselves. You know, it was basic renders. It was us debossing luggage tags. It was, you know, it, is there a strategy? We just gr we grinded our way through it. Like that yeah. was that was it. And I mean, look, and that, that's I mean, as I've said before, I'm pretty lucky that I get to interview some amazing people, amazing businesses. But the one commonality is that you know, early days, it's you just literally got to make it work. Shit happens. Like you know, I would you know, you just it's the stories like okay, you know, first shipment got delayed. We're missing out on probably one of the biggest times of the year okay, what do we do? So are we, we're going to do a pre-order and we're going to have to give them something for that pre-order to just, you know, make sure that the first experience with the brand is, is, is a good one. And those are kind of the stories of, of what a startup's really about, right? It's that, it's that problem happens, pivot, all of a sudden we get the kickstart that we need and, and then we're off to the races kind of thing. And, and that's why I think doing it alone is tough, doing it with the wrong partner is tough. Like you really have to have to have to have the support, and it's all possible. And there's different combinations of, do, of, of different ways of doing things. Um, I found with myself is having a having a strong partner who's the opposite to me um, makes things work better because you, as long as you have a commonality that you're here to try and solve a problem, no one gets upset, no one gets offended. You're sitting there trying to solve problems. 
that's where the love is, you know what I mean? Because th this is all it is. We're just problem solvers and trying to solve different kinds of problems through a commercial entity as opposed to just writing things down on paper, you know? It's it's a really fun way to do it. And, and for me in particular, I, I find like working with people like that um, gets you a 10x result. Yeah. Okay, and so let's move to now kind of we're just past that first shipment and or even if we're moving more towards the point of you guys have gone, obviously experienced some extreme growth, you know, over over the time. What were some of the things post kind of first launch, really in the startup phase that you think really helped you guys grow? You know, maybe particular moments, maybe particular realizations, maybe yeah. it was, you know, um, product variety. Um, you know, what were some of those things in the early days that really helped you guys take that next leap? The first year for us, like we talk about that running, right? Like, you know, it's not our first race. And so we know in that first year, like we like to double down. We're like, let's just keep going. This is great. They're moving. People are responding well to the product. They're responding well to the brand. Let's keep going. Within six months, we've opened a retail store in Emporium. Mm. Now, from a physical goods D2C space, particularly in Australia, that's not done. Nobody opens retail stores. Like what is like now? It's kind of common, but like nobody, yeah, yeah, yeah. nobody's opening retail. It's, it's almost become a post-COVID strategy. But you guys were sounds like you were pretty early. 2019, first store, uh, ground floor emporium. Like especially in the shopping center as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Like where the rents are huge. Like we landed a deal and a half, and it made us look big, a lot bigger than we than we actually were. Um, but we we leaned into it a lot, and you know, like we're talking like first six months store. Um, first eight, within first eight, within the eight months, we raised some money. We launched more product. We just like kept going, kept going, kept going, and you know we didn't want to stop. Right? This was this was this was working, and and we love what we were doing. We'd already done ten other things prior. We already knew what was going to work and what was not going to work. Um, the fact that we're e-commerce guys, that we had done other things in the past, and then our, our first big move was a retail store. It was a it was a good signifier of of us being comfortable with being uncomfortable and doing things that we didn't know how to do. Uh, we'd never done a store before. We've never worked retail before. Uh, we're both hospital guys from, from back in the day. So, you know, for us, like, we've never folded a shirt in our lives. You know, we're, we're, we're coffee makers. Mm. Uh, and so the idea was that to go into retail, uh, we sort of understood the category. We understood that travel has a timeline and some people just don't trust e-commerce. In order to sell more product, we needed to be in a physical presence as well. But we're DLC, so we don't wholesale. We weren't going to get into all these other places. We need to do it ourselves. Mm. And it set a really good tone for for what the brand was, what the brand is about, and what we we're meant to do. And then everything else was kind of like working with that. You know, the team was growing because the, you know you've obviously got the retail thing, but then the marketing grows. You're doing events. Uh, you're selling like you've got more product now to sell. We'd, we'd got a lot more attention and therefore we, we met some great investors who, who um, helped us raise some money and have become great partners. And, uh, and so now we're like at the end of 2019 thinking that we're absolutely unstoppable. You know, we're like, this, this was first year. Like, that's crazy. It's crazy. You know what I mean? To get that done in the first year is absolutely insane. And we were wrapped. We're like, this is great. You know, let's take over the world. We've got... The beautiful thing with suitcases is there's no, you know, TGA compliance. Like you, you, it's a globally made product uh, from day one because it has to be right for, to to work on the plane. So all, all we need to do to grow is is keep moving countries and keep growing. 
But then obviously 2020 happened, <laughs> you know, like, you know, and, and that kind of swept us up and uh, nobody obviously expected it. I think the biggest pain with, with COVID, and, you know, I feel like in travel you, you talk about COVID a lot, right? But I think the biggest pain was that you never knew when it was going to end. So you never knew when the lockdowns were going to end. You never knew when everything was going to get back to normal again. And so for us, it's it was being in a holding pattern. To use like a plane analogy, we were sitting there just sort of in a holding pattern, floating around the airport, just waiting to, to land and get, get on with our lives again. So we, yeah, I mean, that's essentially what we did. We, we spent that year trying to, um, you know, we talk about going back to the grind. Uh, it was about launching a new region, seeing who was flying. Like early days, 2020, uh, China was still flying domestically. Like it wasn't a big deal mm. uh, back in China. So China was flying domestically. We opened retail in China. Uh, you know, we went straight into online retail into China just to keep moving. Um, 2021, uh, the world was still in lockdown. The US, no lockdown. They decided that the world was open again for them. And uh, the Americans, particularly in June, July, were going to Europe. Uh, so we're like, let's open in the US. Let's launch in the US. You know, we basically, you know, very simple strategies. See where people are flying, see where they're moving to, go to those regions and try and open up and to help buffer. And, and, you know, to our earlier conversation offline where international, uh, from an Australian perspective, typically isn't on the cards for Australian businesses until a lot later. Um, a, a lot of larger Australian businesses see Australia as like a, a, a protective environment that's got to protect their market as opposed to looking at the world as opportunity. For us, we knew that, that we had to grow globally uh, for our product range. And so, you know, we just, all it did was accelerate that strategy uh, mm. as much as possible as opposed to focusing on Oz because Oz was, was not moving at all. So for us, global was always, was, was almost from day one and kind of forced our hand a little bit uh, thanks to COVID. But now that we're out of it, come 2022, uh, the US was, was, was smashing. Um, you know, we, we're now in the UK, uh, Hong Kong, New Zealand, like it just keeps, continues to grow because for us, like, yes, you hear about things like, people aren't traveling, economic climate issues, and uh, you know, people are tightening their belts, or then you know, they're not moving, they're not buying. Each, each region has its own economic pros and cons. And so you sort of leverage your, uh, your bet, and, and hedge your bet rather, by, by being in different regions at the same time. And so for us now, growing has been that, that hedge, and uh, we, we're seeing growth everywhere. Everyone's traveling, especially especially across Asia, like they are really, you know, they've had enough. They've had enough of their lockdown. So we just want to be part of that story. Team, just a short break. I want to say a massive shout out to our major sponsors, BizCover. They are a big reason why we get to do what we do every single week. These guys are professionals. They care about your business and they care about the business and startup community, which is something that I really love and a reason why we chose to partner with them. And plus they make the process of getting your company insured super seamless, which is really important with such a tedious process. I've been a customer now for 10 years. I have made claims. It has been super easy. Uh, and it, you know, with as I said, with such a tedious process, these guys are the best in the business. As part of the Startup Diaries community, uh, they have given us a promo code, which is Pivotal25, getting $25 off your business insurance policy. Make sure you head over to bizcover.com.au the link is in the show notes. Get your company insured with a great company. We'll head back to the episode now. And it's it's interesting like how, I mean, I find that really interesting that the mindset was to still stay aggressive, right, throughout that period of time because I think it, I don't know, I look back in retrospect now and just think 
you probably had to stay aggressive in, in that period of time. Like if you're a business, you know, like I feel like if you went defensive for too long during that period of time, it's going to, it's probably hurting you a lot more now, right? You know, especially if you're in a growth phase, like there's obviously a little bit more, it's a little bit different if you're a little bit, you know, you're a yeah. 20 year brand, right? Good, good defense is a strong offense. Yeah. In that sense, yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you is what I noticed just as literally someone who consumes your content and keeps an eye on the brand really pretty closely is that the effort that you go to to make your stores look amazing. Um, and just wanted to kind of get a bit of insight into that, you know, and was that, you know, was your first store like that? Is that, is that an effort that you made from the very beginning to, a, you know, again from that you kind of mentioned the shortcut to trust? Is that, you know... And, and again, that's, that's exactly the, that's it. the common theme, right? It's like yeah. six months in, we're opening a store, shortcut the trust, you know, in, and that common theme kind of carrying on was the first store, you know, Emporium, you know, and is that something that, you know, you think has been like a, a particular strategy for you guys that has really helped along the, the way, uh, you know, the whole that, way through? That's, mate, that's exactly it, right? Like opening a physical store is already a shortcut to trust and then fitting it out properly is another one as well. Um, that early store was just, uh, you know, and we did it so cheaply back then. Like I think back and go like, I wish I could still do that that cheaply today and get away with it. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it was it was all a hustle. And it was like trying to trying to make things look good. And actually one of the secrets for retail that I've, I've come to realise, I mean, it's probably not, it's not going to work right now, but for anyone listening who's just starting up, pick a material and double down on that material is a really simple way to make something look amazing. And I remember for that particular store, we picked linoleum. With linoleum, the walls, the floors, the, the furniture, everything had linoleum on it. And uh, it makes it look a re- like the photos end up phenomenal. And uh, we had architecture students come in, check it out. Like it was really good. It was a really good vibe. And, you know, a shortcut to trust, it looked beautiful. It looked like it belonged. And, um, you know, I think having a physical presence also helped as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, you know I forgot the question to be honest with you. No, 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 no. <laughs> we were just talking like again, like me. Again, I got like, excited about the fit out. I was like, mate, I love uh, the fit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. The, we were just talking about the shortcut to trust kind of as a theme, and and I, I mean, I think that's just a good thing to highlight for people who are listening to this, trying to learn. Is yeah. like, because I, I look at that too, and I think I can actually see commonalities in what we did in the early days. Is like you know, um, even just with the, this podcast. You know, my thing was like, how do I compete with Diary of a CEO? How do I compete with Gary V? How do I compete with these kind of guys? And we ended up competing with them. Like in Australian charts, I was next to Gary V. And I'm thinking, Love holy that. shit. But I think back and that was my mindset too, was like, okay, well, hey, if I'm shooting in 6K cameras from day one, people are going to think I'm legit. And then more importantly, one of the big things for us was getting guests. And it was like, okay, well, I need to get, get I need guests to take me seriously. That's why we got a producer. That's why we got a studio. That's why we got the works and we yep. got the couches. And you walk up here and you're like, yeah, I get it. Legit. Exactly Great. right. Yeah. And, and that that travels. So it's it's just a good theme, I think, in terms of we, if we really talk about brand as trust and how to build, you know, brand, you know, from from day one. It, it it's a really cool theme that I think rings true in in your journey and and you know your, the company's journey as well. And any brand is essentially a trust promise, right? Mm. It's essentially saying. This is what you you think of me. This is what I'm delivering for you, and so that's that you. That's what you're buying into. Whether it's a luxury brand, whether it's an everyday brand, you know you 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 know you're talking about Windex. You know exactly what you're going to get with Windex. You know it's going to clean the window. It's going to smell exactly like you think it's going to smell. 
it won't streak, you're going to throw it out and the job is done. I've, you've trusted the brand to do the job that it needs to do. Um, and and um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the category is, um, you know, the, the, the brand is a promise that it will deliver on what it needs to. And for us, like we talk about it then, there's no such thing as, as boring categories, only boring brands. Like it is up to the brand to make that promise and to deliver the message. Even if you're in a category that you feel like can, can, can carry you to a degree, you know, at the end of the day, we're in travel, we, we sell suitcases, you pack your bag, they're on wheels and you're off again. There's more things that you need to be worrying about than worrying about your suitcase. You could argue that we'd be selling them anyway without any of the trust promises that the brand delivers on. Um, but we sell more that way. And we do, we do what we can because we know that we sell more. It means something to people. The referrals come through, our CAC's lower, our stores perform better, th our team is happier. There's, there's a lot of other elements that come into it. Yeah, but I also think there's like a really good point there around trust promise, not just around the product, right? Like, like it's not like I always come back to this this um, quote that I heard is like you can have the world's best meal in a restaurant that smells like sewerage, and you know it won't be the world's best meal. Yeah. And, and so the idea of like trust promise carries more than just what you deliver in a product. It's it's every single touch point that the consumer has and. It only takes one breakdown. You know, if you guys maybe hadn't have gone for that fit out or you hadn't have gone, um, you know, uh, gotten, uh, gone into retail as soon, like, you know, some that could change, could have changed the trajectory of the company or more importantly, the trust that the consumer has with the brand. Um, so I just think there's a really cool point there, you know, that, yeah. that it's obviously, and it's a lot easier to do in retrospect, right? We can sit here now, sure. look back at your journey and... <laughs> and do it but i think coming back to the what you said earlier of like it's not your first rodeo and and you know i think there's what i try to do with this podcast is for someone who's it is their first rodeo you can you can start to gather these lessons and just color your lens a bit you're not going to be able to see it straight away but you know we, we really try to deliver that so i think like that as a really good common theme of brand is 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 really cool for the to highlight for the for the listener oh de you know definitely you know, each touch point is another thing to win someone over. And so if, if, if you want to keep winning people, everything that they experience with you needs to be on point. It's like a very simple thing, uh, but it's very easy to ignore sometimes, you know, like your customer service emails can sometimes just be, you know, generic and you just get the job done and you're like, yeah, it's fine. It's a cost center. I don't really want to worry about it that much. But the majority of the people, the majority of the people that are spending money with you are going through some form of customer service channel, mm -hmm. being social or email. And it's the biggest touch point that you'll ever have and you're disregarding it. Like you, you spend all your money on marketing, nothing on, on CX, yet most people won't see the marketing. A lot of people engage with CX. Where should you be spending the money, you know? And typically the bigger you get as well, the more, the further away people get to get to the CX, get from the customer, which is ridiculous. Mm. Like, you know, being, understanding the customer, being with them, seeing what their touch points are, you know, their touch points are, they see it on social, they go onto the website, they maybe walk past the store, uh, they get the delivery, maybe something happens or, you know, they want to buy something for somebody else, they want a discount or something, they email you through. Like, all those things need to be on point. Otherwise, once one of those things breaks down, they're like, well, this brand's shit. Why would I, what am I doing here? One star. You know, it's, uh, even though you nailed five of the six things. It only takes one. That, that only takes one. I had a one star review yesterday on, on Google because we didn't take cash. Nothing about the product, nothing about the brand. We just didn't take cash. It's like one star, you know, like, what are you gonna do? Sure, it was, I think it's hilarious. 
you know, I was very tempted to respond with, um, you know, Vince Colosimo and like cash, no cash here. <laughs> you know? Robo, no cash. Yeah, 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 very yeah. tempted, but I didn't, <laughs> I refrained because to him, that was an important brand point that, that, you know, he, he, that was that person's requirement. We couldn't deliver on it um, and felt passionate about it enough to get him to Google and give us a one star. Mm. So, you know, that was upsetting and I'm sure we'll win him over and, and I'm, like somebody's gotten in touch with him now, but it was, it is a thing. It had nothing to do with anything else that we've done over the last four years. We just didn't accept something, you know, we didn't accept cash. And it's like, no, I can't, mm. I'm not going to take that anymore. So it's, it's, um, it's important. It's important to look at these touch points and do what you can. Is there any key lessons that you can share? There's a little segue there. Is there any key lessons that you can share around getting bigger? You know, you mentioned that word, but like, you know, as you guys have, you are getting bigger now and you are in a sense scaling, you know, what are some of those key lessons? Like I always think about unit economics and and just the economics of a business and how they change dramatically as you get as, as you get a bit bigger and maybe that is a key lesson, maybe it's not, but what are those kind of one or two key lessons that you've, or maybe mentality shifts that you've had to make as you've gotten bigger? Operations drive the business. That's that's ultimately what uh, any, if, if you're in e-commerce in particular, but in any business, you need to make sure that the back end is as lean and as efficient as possible. Mm. And that's something that, especially as, as being the brand guy, that's something that it's very easy to ignore for a long time. Um, you know, making sure that your shipping rates are uh, efficient, making sure that uh, returns are done well, making sure that the team is lean and you're not overspending in places, making sure they're actually getting the ROI on, on your, your campaigns. All that stuff matters more and more as you grow. It's easy to ignore it if you're making money and you're growing. But that's the staff, that's the lifeblood of any business. And if you're, if you're focused on that, the rest of it will work. It buys you the opportunity to do, to do the cooler things. What are, yeah, so that, that's, that's the point I would love to touch on. Like, what are the consequences of not doing that? Because it's hard, uh, you know, as an operator, if you yeah. haven't done it before, it's hard to know when you are doing those things. Like, how do you know you're overspending on people if you, if you haven't tried to drain the juice before kind of thing? Like, what are some of those consequences of the operations not being efficient that people might be able to look out for? I mean, you know, you, you've got to constantly be looking at your margins. You've got to be looking at what is, what is, help, what is funding the business. Uh, and, and, you know, like, again, I'm lucky in the sense that my business partner are very financially driven. Uh, good with numbers and we work well together but he's constantly optimizing the business every day every week and and you need that focus level you need somebody who's committed to saving and looking at at the details around efficiencies and getting those things done because it it, it really does buy you the opportunity to do cooler things you know what's the consequence it's like well you don't know what you've missed out on you don't know what you don't know at the end of the day but um if you don't have your pro your your unit economics there, the product isn't profitable and the business isn't making money then when a retail store does come up you probably can't afford it when you need to expand the product range in order to make more money you probably can't afford it um, when your CACs are too high and you're losing money on per, per customer um, you can't afford to pivot you can't mm. afford to change like it is about buying you the opportunity to do bigger things and so the more money you have uh, you know even talking about raising right a lot of people raise money as a way to just go, well, now I can just do whatever I want. Mm. You know, and, and I think that's the, that's the wrong way to look at raising. Right? Like you can do 10 times more 
if you raised and were extremely efficient with how you spent that money. Mm. Um, but it is, it is about having a focus. Some advice I've given to others in the past has been pretend like you're raising money every year because it actually sets you up like you do the deck, you look at your financials, you start to look at your, pro- your profit margins, you start to look at some of the metrics that maybe you ignore throughout the year and you get yourself into a really healthier position but just by knowing and going like actually our shipping was costing us quite a bit. I think, it's, I think we should do something about that. And, and just pretending, you might go out to the market to raise, but sometimes a lot of founders just get so stuck on working in the business, they don't never work on it, they never work on the strategy around it. Um, it's about setting time aside to, to start looking from the outside in and seeing what you can manipulate um, from an economic level, not just from a brand, not just from marketing, not just product, actually, actually doing the strategy level. The final, like business is about commerce, it is about the money. Um, ultimately, it is about doing the detail work around that and making sure you can buy yourself the opportunity to have an amazing brand or to have an amazing product or an amazing customer experience. All those things cost money. Yeah, and you know what? It's it's so true. I think the difference between what I've done in my previous businesses to the one I'm doing now, and again, this is like similar to yourself where it's not your first rodeo and you understand kind of you, you fundamentally build your own philosophy or your own kind of model of like what you know should happen, but you know, with this business, um, every quarter we're building a model and a big model of how the business is fundamentally operating. Um, and that model is getting more comprehensive every time we build it and we're tinkering. And that model is not just a model on now, it's a model on 12 months time. And we're always modeling that, you know, 12 to 24 months ahead. Now it fucking flips on a dime, yeah. right? But at least you are, you're understanding the, I'm almost thinking like you're the puppeteer, right, on top and you're understanding that because previously I've probably been more in it and, yes, there are things you tinker, but you're tinkering more with like some of the, you know, you're, you're so in the department economics that you're not actually fundamentally sitting that layer above, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, And that yeah. speaks really true to what you're saying there is that and it does help and to have those kind of people in your business who can help you with that, whether it is a business partner, whether it is, a really great accountant, whether it is you're going out and actually, you know, getting someone to build you a model that you can have there, it does make a massive difference. Yeah, mentors are free, right? Finding smart people who want to help other people trying to grow, like they're just a wealth of resource, you know. There's some there, <laughs> there's some older rich people who have just got nothing but time, you know, just dip into them, see what they did well and get some advice from them and they'd love to tell you. And they've told us, like we, are, we ask for advice a lot. You know, we're, we're not, um, we never say that we're, we're the guys with all the answers. We are testing constantly. We are testing product strategy, launch strategy. I mean, I just came from a, a, a heated conversation with Richard uh, about the timing of product launches and how you do things globally. And do we do things, do we wait and hold product in one region so that we can launch things globally, which costs us money to hold? Or do we slowly launch globally uh, when the product arrives, but some regions are getting it earlier than others, which means that you're going to get frustrated customers who haven't got the product yet. They're around four or five weeks out. It is like, it is test and learn, right? So we did it one way, one way. We did it one way, the other way. What's better, what's worse? Who knows, right? Talk to somebody else who's done it in the past. Speak to somebody from Country Road who's got similar issues on global expansions and and just try and figure it out for yourself, you know? There's so much wealth, a uh, wealth of knowledge out there and people are more than happy to, to engage and give you the insight. You know, I think that the only people who don't really give you answers are like when you're in the Uber 
and then you know the guy's got an idea but he won't tell you what the idea is until you sign an nda that's kind of like at the base level where you don't get any feedback everyone else is more than happy to tell you ideas more than happy to tell you their strategies what they've done because everyone's just trying to figure it out you know nobody's got the answers everybody spends their entire life trying to figure out what they're trying to do right and you know all you we can all learn off each other um, by, by doing that, just ask the questions. Yeah, and, and I think like the assumption, I, I know I made this assumption, you know, years and years ago, but you assume that nobody wants to talk about anything or nobody's willing to share. But I think probably the realization that I've had is, you know, people are willing to share. And, and you know, um, if you ask the question, people love talking about themselves and they love talking about their business, they love right? It. You know, like you go to a founder <laughs> yeah. and you say, hey, what do you do? They'll sit there for half an hour and tell you every single thing that's going on. Yeah. And even that is enough to learn, you know? And I think that's been even something for myself, like, you know, uh, I study people, you know? So if I, if I love your business and I, and I you know, um, I love your business and, and I kind of see how the founder's mind works and some of their strategies, I'll study you. And, I, and, and it's a detailed thing, you know? So... Um, if I'm researching, I read every article for the last two years and I get an understanding of how that founder works. I listen to podcasts and I don't just listen to the lessons they think, but I under- try to understand how their frame of mind is or what their business model is and, and really try to pick out the details. And I think that we're in a world where you don't need to pay a mentor. Yeah, you can, but, but you don't need to pay a mentor to learn from that person or you know, you've got to find a way to ask them a question and get them excited about telling you you know, and, and, and there's, you know, we've got YouTube, we've got, there's so much there yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, YouTube's free, but people are free too, you know, a coffee or two, a lunch exactly, here and there. Yeah. There's so much knowledge out there. Um, it's, a, it's, it's just about engaging with it. 100%. A question to finish off before we dive into quick fire is on the topic of becoming a better entrepreneur, what do you think has shaped or, or, or what do you think shaped you to be ready for July, you know, um, over the last 10 years, you know, or, or, you know, in your prior experiences, you know, maybe it's a characteristic, maybe it's, um, you know, prior knowledge, but what do you think has really shaped you to the point where you were ready to take on the, the journey of July that you think people can learn from? I, I think there's two things. One, I had a lot of support from my family. Uh, you know, and, and not just for starting businesses, you know, I've had a lot of, uh, ups and downs, right. Throughout like high school and like post high school and, you know, like flunked high school, you know, went on to do a food business, like just like things that, you know, a a history that you would not expect, um, of, of anybody who's trying to get into anything professional. Right. And then I eventually went to uni and ended up doing advertising and all these other things. And, and, and going down that path. But um, I, I got a constant level of support of like doing what you need to do, just like, yeah, great. You wanna do this? Go ahead and do it. Um, and I think that baseline helps a lot. Uh, n- and whether it's family or whether it's a, a friend network, whatever it is, right? But just having support in wanting to try new things is, is a fundamental. If you have an idea for something and your friends, your family, whoever it is that your network is, says, you're an idiot, don't do that you will you will never do anything eventually you'll probably listen to them and not do it and so i I think having a support network around you um that embraces uh risk is is a is a really uh fundamental thing to to have as a as a base layer for whatever you do 
It's so true because it's so easy to listen, you know, and, and maybe they just don't understand or they haven't been themselves. They're not risk takers. And it's so easy to, I think that's one of the hardest things as a business owner. It can be very lonely at times because it's not the common path. You know what I mean? But when you, it's funny, like I, I'm trying to grow a business at the moment and fundamentally I walk away from every conversation I have saying, wow, like it's, and it's, it's good to hear these stories and it's good to talk to people who say, yeah, have a crack, you know, this, do this, you know, and I think surrounding yourself with those kind of people makes a massive, massive difference. And it's, it's good. But like I, you know, I use my mum as a really great example, right? Who's had 10 careers over the last 20 years <laughs> and, and she absolutely loves starting from zero. Yeah. Which is so rare, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. leans into it, properly embraces it. You know, wants to wants to do dressmaking, great. So she'll stop whatever she's doing. Uh and, and just like so she was she was in insurance, just cancelled that. Kaput. <laughs> went to went to Box Hill Tafe and started from absolute zero to do dressmaking, did her course, went on to do she she ended up doing work experience with somebody else, did a bit of that, found another dressmaker, worked there for free for a year. Like just do did whatever she could to, in order to get the experience to thing and ended up being that. All right, for, you know, a few years later, she decided not to do it anymore. Decided to own, run a shoe business, you know. So like goes to you know like does a few different bits and pieces. Um, ends up back in insurance because finds that she she loved it but started her own business doing it. So I, you know, and again, starting from zero, open to change. Uh, she's she's a good inspiration in that regard. Um, it's weird, I don't, you know, it's weird talking about my mum as, as my inspiration point, but she is in that, in that sense, not because she was my mum, but because she's very confident about looking people in the face and going, I know nothing about this, but I'm, I'm going to start here. You imagine being, you know, mid-40s going to TAFE to start something you've never, <laughs> never done before. Crazy. I love that so much. Crazy, you know, it's just such a, like, such a cool thing. So, so I feel like that's, that's definitely a, a, a fundamental, uh, being open to risk um, and having the support network for that, for that risk. Um, what else is there? You know, there's, there's, I feel like there was, there's one more thing, but that's all right. No, that's, we'll, that's good enough. Yeah, you know? no, that's, <laughs> that was a, that's a great answer. Great answer. We're going to dive into quick fire. Um, what's one piece of advice for your younger self? Start early, start early, as early as possible, as quick as possible. You never know what the future holds. Um, do as many things as you could, as you can. You know, the best, the best quote that I've ever heard that I've, I've half claimed for myself is you've got 30,000 days to live. Uh, so make the most of it. First 10,000 days, uh, you'll hit 30 years old. Last 10,000 days is from 60 to 90, however long you make it. So you, between you, from 30 to 60, you've got 10,000 days. Mate, get cracking. Like, make it count. Do whatever you can. Start early. Start the thing. Talk to the girl. Do what you need to do. Go out for dinner. You know, tell, tell everybody that you love them. Like, max it out as much Live. as possible. Yeah. It's so true. We're just, you know, we're such horrible perceivers of time. You know, like that's the one thing that we struggle with, you know, and I mean, I think maximising it and, and having that urgency, you know, um, just makes for a more fulfilling life. Especially when you're 20, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you've got all the time in the world when you're 20, you know, you're thin, you're hot, you're doing cool things, like, <laughs> you know, nothing matters anymore, like you can live off $50 a week, like, you know, it's very easy to waste a lot of time when you're young uh, and you look back and, you know, they say like the youth is wasted on the young. That uh, at the end of the day, you, you, you can you really see how much time and opportunity was available to you. Just make the most of it. So true. What advice would you have for someone who's just starting in business? 
find a good business partner. <laughs> you know, make sure that they compliment you. It, it is a marriage. It is something that requires you to be able to go through hard times and good times together. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you can get along with them. At least find support in other ways. You can't do it on your own. The one thing is you can't do it on your own at all. So you need to find your support network to help you do the things that you don't want to do or that you can't do. If you're not good at numbers, find a numbers guy. If you're not good at marketing, find a marketing person. Uh, You really need to, you know, to find your support network. Get your people. What's the most important trait that a founder must have for success and why? You've got to be open to losing it all. <laughs> You've got to be open to not knowing what, what the future holds. Sometimes it's your fault and sometimes it's not. And you just got to pick up the pieces and keep going. You know, be okay with starting again. Much like the, the comment around my, my mother, you've got to be okay with starting from zero and keep going again. I love it. I think it's true. I, I, I definitely do. I def- that rings true as well. I think, you know, there's no reward without risk. And you've got to be willing to take that risk and bet on yourself. You know, I think that's the other big thing because it's almost the caveat to what you're saying, right? You've got to, in order to bet on yourself, you have to be willing to sacrifice and understand that there could, there's going to be loss. There's no, it's not going to always be smooth sailing. You never you, know. You mentioned it before, right? It's like sometimes there are the unicorns and they just, everything goes right, but it's never purposeful. You know, as much as anyone will say that it is, more often than not, you need a little bit of luck along the way, but you've got to bet on yourself at the very minimum. That's it. You know, and, and back to the beginning of the chat, it is a race. You know, get a few runs under your belt, learn how to run properly, learn how to breathe properly, get the right shoes, you know, learn or train with somebody that you like, get faster, get better, increase your times, because one day that race is going to come, you're going to get that idea, the gun is going to go off, and you're going to be at the top of that list. You're going to win that race because of all the training and all the work that you've done in the past. So true, mate. So true. Athan, I want to say a massive thank you for coming on the show. I love the product. Love the brand. Very exciting. I think it's, you know, still early days for you guys. So really excited to see what you guys are going to do in the future. Um, for anyone who doesn't know the brand, you know, maybe they, they um, you know, they, they haven't seen the product or, and so on. Where can they find it? July.com or at July on socials. Uh, or hit me up on Twitter, wherever you want. We'll, we will respond to you as quickly as possible. But come and visit us at one of our stores or or online at july.com. Amazing. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next week. Thanks. It'll be great to be here.